This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for February 3rd, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 21 through 30. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today's epistle lesson from St. Paul is one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture. It's his hymn to love. You know, often used at weddings and uh, lots of occasions. People make um, posters of it and, and art and hang it in their houses. I mean, it's pretty much everywhere. And, and it just goes to prove that the Beatles were right, that all you need is love. So, But the question is, is what is love then, isn't it? What does that mean? And in keeping with the theme for Epiphany, one of the things that will happen for us if we understand this passage correctly is it will help us, one, both to be those who manifest God in the world and help us to recognize manifestations of God in the world. And so what is love? And I have to tell you, you know, the way I, I study and, and things for the sermon is that early in the week I read the lessons and then I kind of let the lessons ruminate through my mind and I do study here and there about different words and different things. And, and this week, I, I have to tell you the truth, I got stuck because, you know, when it says that love is like, you know, if you do all these wonderful things, but you have not love, then you are nothing. Except they says that you are like a, a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. And the, a cymbal. And the only thing that kept going through my mind was clang, clang, clang went the trolley, <laughs> which is a real problem. That almost was your sermon, by the way. That pretty much was it. So what is this love? Why, why would it be the case that if we had wonderful gifts and talents and lots of wealth and, and, and you know, we were you know, brilliant but had not love that we're nothing? Why is that nothing? And why would Paul say that? Well, he goes on to give us what the characteristics of real love is. We know from John, 1 John, that, that, um, that God is love. And so Paul is telling us what it looks like when we abide in God's love. When we really show love to one another, what does that mean? Because there are lots of different kinds of love, <clears throat> even though we only have one word for it in English. Other languages oftentimes have many words for it. You know, but we lump a lot of things in when we say love. If you watch television today, you would think love was romance because they use it to sell everything. You know, TV shows and movies, romance fiction are, are huge, you know, in our market. But romance is not the kind of love that Paul was talking about. It's not even friendship, really, of trying to help somebody out. The kind of love that he's referring to here is self-sacrificial love, called agape love. And so he goes on to define for us what this love that God is and what it would look like in us if we had it. And, and we remember, you know, he says love is patient and kind. It's never jealous or boastful or envious or rude. But he gives some basic characteristics that kind of ring true through all of it. He says, love bears all things. It hopes all things. It believes all things. And it endures all things. Now, what would that look like if we really put that into practice? What would we be doing? Well, 
What does love bears all things really mean? Well, what it really means is that love, the kind of love that is of God, is a kind of love that always looks out for the interest of the other ahead of my own. It's not about me. And it always looks to serve rather than be served. Even Jesus himself, if you think about it, said, the Son of Man came into the world not to be served, but to serve. And so when we bear all things, what we're really saying is, not why should I have to do all this stuff? You know, what are you doing? When love bears all things, it is glad to help the other. It's glad to be of service to the other. It doesn't look to see how to get out of work. It looks to see what is needed and how one can help. It has a servant's heart. So love bears all things. Love hopes all things. What does that mean? Well, love doesn't dwell on the past. You know, have you met people like that who are so wrapped up in the way things were that they're miserable? And chances are the way things were were bad. You know, people had wronged them. Some terrible accident had befell them. Something awful had happened. But they've lost hope. What they dwell on is how terrible the world is. And they don't see the hope that goes beyond that. You know, there are people who live out their lives believing that the glass is half empty rather than it's half full. There are people who believe that the pie is only one size and you've got to get your part of it or else somebody else will take it from you. It doesn't believe that the pie can expand and grow. It believes that, you know, the resources are finite. And so we're all in trouble if we don't share it equitably. And so we all fight over it to see how much of it we can get. So we get our part. And if we have to get a little more than our part, well, that's the other person's problem. You know, they're, they're not people who look and believe that the, the best is yet to come. Now, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, in the midst of even the worst of things, always talked about the hope of God. You know, he would frequently say that, you know, he's talking about the temple. He said, I tell you that I will tear down this temple in, in you know, from stone upon stone. A destruction will come upon Jerusalem. And he says, but in three days I will raise it up again. There's always that but that comes next about what's going to happen. When he's talking to his disciples about what's going to happen, he says, we'll go to Jerusalem, and there the Son of Man will be turned over into the hand of sinners, where he will be tortured and tried and mocked and crucified, and he will die. But after three days, he will rise again. There's always that afterward in Jesus' perspective on things. Always about... No matter how dark and how difficult things might be, there's always something on the other side. Because God is a God of endless possibilities. He isn't a God who runs out of track. He's the one who raises new life, even in the darkest of moments. And so a person who, who hopes all things is not Pollyannish in that they don't pretend that bad things aren't going on in the world. They just don't believe that they have the final say. You know, they don't dwell on those things. They believe we've got to get to the place beyond that. No matter how bleak it may look, no matter how hopeless or dark 
they know that if you keep walking in the same direction, there will be a light at the end of the tunnel sometime. And they're convicted of it. And so they always do that. Have you ever talked to somebody who's the opposite of that? That when you go talk to them and you say, how's things going? Oh, it's terrible. What's going on? I mean, are you, how's your health? Oh, man, I, you know, it's one sickness after another. I mean, I just don't know how I'm going to survive this. Am I going to make it? Was well, everything else going okay? No, my wife left me. Well, why did she leave you? She said I was grumpy. You know, and no matter what you say, well, how's the job going? Oh, it's the same old stuff every day. Nobody appreciates what I do. You know, no matter what you say to them, it's bad. Don't you really look forward to meeting them again sometime? As opposed to the person who says, well, yeah, it's, it's going through a tough time right now, but it's going to get better. You know, I have confidence. You know, we can pull through this. I mean, it's an entirely different kind of attitude when you see the glass is half full as opposed to half empty. The third one is that love believes all things. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that love trusts people. Love trusts everyone. Not some people. Everyone. Love looks for the best in people. Now, you might say, well, there are some people you probably ought not look for the best in. You know, because they're, they're not very nice people and they'll, they, they're not trustworthy. And love would say, no, everybody's trustworthy. They may not be trustworthy in everything. But everybody is trustworthy in something. And so it looks for the ways in which people are trustworthy. Now, this kind of trust is not Pollyannish. It's not sort of saying, you know, being gullible and believing whatever anybody tells you. You know, it, it's, it's realistic in that it knows that people aren't always, you know, straightforward and that some people are trying to deceive other people and those things go on. It just doesn't choose to base its opinion of people on the negatives about them. It doesn't ignore them either. So, for instance, it might not be wise to, to give your uh, gambling holic um, uncle, who is a spendthrift, the, the signature on your bank account so he can sign checks. You know, they probably wouldn't do that. Or it might not be best to give him power of attorney over all your wealth. But that doesn't mean that you don't love them for what good things they do have. When it says that love believes all things, it says that he's always looking for the good that is there. And Jesus, again, emulates this, you know, in his own life. When Jesus is in the world, you know, he picks Peter to be his disciple. Now, you have to wonder about that sometimes. I suspect Jesus on Sundays wondered about it. Because, I mean, Peter was not always really with it. I mean, he sometimes had to rebuke him. You know, he would just come up with these wild schemes about who's going to be the best and all these sorts of things. And, you know, he, he would try to explain things to him and he'd think he got through to him, but then Peter would go right back to where he was. You know, there wasn't a whole lot, you know, during the earthly ministry of Jesus to say that Peter was going to be a great leader of the church. And yet Jesus always saw the good in him. He always looked for what was in his heart. As a matter of fact, Jesus even picked Judas, didn't he? Isn't that interesting? Even though he knew that he would be the one who would betray him, he also still saw the good in Judas. And so when you believe all things, it's not that you aren't realistic about people and their limitations. 
It's that you choose not to dwell on those limitations. I used to, there was a woman in Point Pleasant, and a man, he died while I was there, who um, was married to this guy who was the proverbial bull in the china shop. Um, his name was Carol Casto, but he always went by Shake. And Shake was a very gregarious, large man who would always say, if you'd ask something, he'd say, you don't know how that came about? And if you said no, then he would proceed to tell you whether he knew it or not. He would just make it up out of whole cloth. And when he thought something wasn't the way it ought to be, he didn't care what else was going on. He'd just barge into the middle of anything and start you know, demanding this be done this way and this be done that way. And we used to look at Terry, his wife, and I'd say, Terry, how in the world do you put up with this man? I mean, he drives me crazy, and I only see him a couple times a week. And she goes, oh, but he's so funny. You know, there's never a dull moment when shake around. And there wasn't, ever. And she said, we laugh and laugh and have the best time. And I realized the difference for her was that she knew that Shake could be overbearing. She just didn't choose to dwell on those things. She chose to dwell on his positive attributes. You know, she wasn't Pollyannish about it. She just didn't have a need to run him down for it or to change him. So when we believe all things, what we're really saying is that we're always going to be looking for the good in the other, being realistic about the bad, but not believing that that's the sum total of who they are. That's what enables us to forgive, by the way. If you want to know how do you forgive people, that's really the key, because it's impossible to forgive people if you don't believe that they could possibly have any good motives ever. And why would you ever forgive someone? But if you believe there's good in everyone, and if you're focusing and looking for that, then forgiveness becomes possible. And then finally, you know, Paul tells us that love endures all things. That's the hardest one, in my opinion. Because what he's saying here is that love takes the most painful emotional hurt, the most painful physical hurt, and says, it is not the problem of the person who inflicted it upon me. It is mine. I own it. It's my problem, not theirs. Imagine what that would be like. You know, what do we do when someone does something to betray us? Cry? What else? Do we go to dinner with them? You know, we tend to avoid them, don't we, at best. Or we confront them and have it out and go at them. Or we lash out at them. And try to hurt them, because if they've hurt us, we want them to know how much we hurt. We even do it in our own families, don't we? I mean, how many times have you had an argument that went something like this? Well, you did this and this. Well, maybe so, but then you did that. And then before you know it, you're talking about something that happened 20 years ago. Because that's what we tend to do. We don't endure all things. Because we don't believe it's our responsibility. We believe it's theirs. They're the ones who did it. They should make it right. What would the world be like if Jesus did that? If God said, you committed those sins, you should pay for them. You should make them right. We'd all be toast, wouldn't we? And yet Paul in Romans says, 
it's the most amazing thing that even while we were still in our sins, Christ Jesus died for us. Even on the cross. Now, you want to talk about hurt. That's got to be hurt. Even on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what it means to endure all things. And it's not, you know, again, it's not a, a being a doormat and just saying, well, people can beat me up and do whatever they want to me. I'm just going to put up with it. It really comes from a place of strength. You know, that's why Jesus can say, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, what are you supposed to do? Offer the other one for him to hit. If they want your coat, what do you give them? Your cloak too. I mean, that's why he can say all those things. It's not because somehow or other he's, you know, lily-livered or something. It's because he's strong. It's because he knows that you cannot beat him in that because you don't have the power to do that. And yet in our lives, how often is it that we give away power to people who surround us? We give away power to people to decide whether or not we're, we're worthy of things. We give away power to people to decide whether or not we're attractive. We give away power to people to decide whether we're right or wrong or good or bad, whether we dress correctly or drive the right kind of car. And we give all kinds of power to people all the time. We're just shoving it away. Here, you take it. And then we wonder why it is that we end up so miserable. Well, we end up so miserable because we have no control in our life at all. We've already given it away. When Paul tells us that love endures all things, it does it from a position of strength. Yes, the Romans could crucify Jesus. Could they kill him? Only temporarily, because God would raise him from the dead. You know, the Pharisees could try to undermine him. Call him all kinds of names. But could they stop him from telling the truth? That's because he knew where his worth really lie. It didn't lie in the opinion of others, other human beings. His real worth was with God in heaven. And we too need to remember that our worth is with God in heaven. So I love that saying, to play for an audience of one. It doesn't really matter what you do and what the crowd thinks of it. It only matters what God thinks of it. Because he's the one who determines your worth. And if you know that he loves you and that he's for you, who can be against you? And what difference does it make if they're against you? I mean, one of, one of my favorite passages is in Revelation. You have this big buildup where all these seals get broken, trumpets get sounded, all these plagues and all these things, building up towards the, the, the great climax, the great battle at Armageddon, you know, the plain of Megiddo, where, where the crossroads of the Fertile Crescent met, where evil will be on one side on the west, and Jesus will come charging, leading his angels and his saints into battle with evil to finally conquer it once and for all. And you get this point, and there's this description of how they're lined up on the hills on either side of the valley, and then it's over. We win. Just by speaking it. You know, there's never any doubt about the outcome of it. That's strength. That's what enables you to endure all things. We see this sort of thing being exhibited in two different ways in today's gospel lesson. 
which is the second half of last week's. If you remember, Jesus had read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that, you know, the blind shall see and the lame shall walk and the deaf shall hear and the the poor will have good news preached to them. And then he said, on this day, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it's interesting because now we get the reaction. The initial reaction is that they were all amazed at how well he spoke and with what authority. So you can sort of see this coming because they're all sitting here. This is our boy. This is our homeboy, you know. And this little Jesus, you know, we, we helped him. We taught him, you know, when he's getting ready for his bar mitzvah, I helped him get ready for it. You know, look how good he is. He learned it all. And they're all so proud of their local hometown boy done good. And then all of a sudden it occurs to them what he said. And somebody goes, wait a minute. Is this not Joseph's son? <laughs> now, the way that they phrase it is interesting. It wasn't a positive statement. They put it in the negative. Because if this is Joseph's son, then how can that possibly be true? And so Jesus proceeds to explain things to them about 